Okay, Bob's going to be preaching from 1 Corinthians uh, 3, verses 5 through 15. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants for whom you believe, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted Apollos' water, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid the foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss though he himself will be saved, but only as to God. Good morning. Good morning. Try to figure out why Silas was taking my picture. <laughs> you can make that disappear, that'd be great. Good. Well, Last week wasn't exactly the way I planned it, um, but um, I, I did not intend to actually be the sermon illustration, but it turned out that I was. Um, but I was greatly blessed to hear Brother Andy stand, stand up and share, and we got to see some of him and hear from him. I think that, that was really wonderful, so I'm very thankful for that. Um, I. Speaking for myself, I'm perfectly content to let him be the one in the cockpit at 30,000 feet. <laughs> so, um, let's back up a little bit. The way this was originally intended was to be a three-part message on the subject of hope. So several weeks ago, uh, we began by considering what I at that time called our ultimate hope, by which I mean the incredible promise that lies before us, that God has prepared a place for us, that we have in heaven an inheritance which is rich and beautiful and perfect and undefiled and in the presence of our Lord and Savior himself. We are to live as people who have that ultimate hope throughout our lives, and it should change everything in us. It should define who we are. At that time, we said that the word translated hope in the New Testament does not mean what people in our culture commonly mean when they use the word hope. The Greek, it doesn't mean wishing, it doesn't mean a mere desire, it means a certain expectation and it means a joyful anticipation of this wonderful future which lies before us. That should change the way we look at everything. And then last week, the idea was to consider, okay, so I still have so many years to live on this earth, and I notice that I go through a lot of problems when I do. 
I notice there are tragedies. I notice there are sorrows. I notice there are struggles. How does my hope help me through that, and how should I understand it? And we said that that really comes down to the question of believing in the promises of God. That God tells us he has a plan for our lives. That is our lives here on earth. That God tells us he has a purpose for our lives, our lives here on earth. And that nothing, absolutely nothing, happens by luck, chance, or coincidence because there simply are no such things. God is in control. And nothing happens unless he either caused it or allowed it, and he had a purpose in doing so. We looked at some some examples. We looked at how Israel was in captivity for 70 years, and yet God promised that he would bring them back to Jerusalem at the end of that 70-year period, and he did. So there are so many ways in which such things work out. And, of course, sometimes in life you can look back on the the hard times and you can see the reason why God did things. Other times you look back and you don't see any reason at all. It really doesn't matter. One way or the other, we still have to believe in that purpose and in that plan. And that is why we said that the solution of the real meaning of hope in this life is trusting God and not our own understanding. That is the key. And that is where hope should manifest itself in our own present lives. Okay, message number three. The question now becomes, is this just about us? Is this just about our own personal needs? What are we supposed to do with this marvelous gift of hope which God has given to us? And the answer, I think, is that we are to cast it abroad into the world in many specific ways. Now, in the passage that was read to you this morning, third chapter of 1 Corinthians. Back up a little bit. The whole letter of 1 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul was addressing a church which had a lot of problems. Oh boy, did that church have a lot of problems. He takes them one by one and he starts to work methodically through them throughout the book of 1 Corinthians. And the first problem that he was focused on was the problem of divisions within the church. Apparently, little groups are formed. There were people who said, I'm a follower of Paul. And there were people who said, well, I'm a follower of Apollos, who was another evangelist we read about in the New Testament. There were people who said, I'm a follower of Cephas, which is another word for Peter. And then there were other people who said, well, I'm just a follower of Jesus himself. Now, I imagine if Paul were standing here before us today, it would sound a little different. It would sound something like this. Wake up, people. There are no Catholics. There are no Protestants. There's no such thing as a Baptist, a Lutheran, a Methodist, an Episcopalian, or a Presbyterian. There is one church of Jesus Christ, only one. And that church is made up of everyone who has a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And then he says, not only that, But don't you realize that God uses each and every one of us, no matter where we are, for a purpose which is far broader than ourselves? And in the passage that was read this morning, Paul essentially gives us two examples. He says, think of it this way. I planted a seed. Apollos came along and watered that seed, but God made it grow. Or he said, all right, if that analogy doesn't work for you, let me give you another one. I laid a foundation. 
Somebody came along and built the walls. Somebody else put on the roof. Somebody else put the windows. But God made the house, you see. So each and every one of us, wherever we are, have those specific gifts which are given to us. Now, how does this bring us back to the subject of hope? Well, when we are working on this great field or this great building, we are not only trying to fix certain problems, we're not even just trying to share a particular message. What we should be doing is conveying the gift of hope, which is who we are. It's how we see life. It's what defines us. Everything we should be doing should be done with this marvelous gift of hope that we are spreading throughout the world. Now, the ever-practical Apostle James wrote, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself from being unstained by the world. I think he mentions orphans and widows merely as examples. They're not the only people in need whom he means. He also says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving the things needed for the body, what good is that? A paraphrase of that verse says, If you see someone in need, and you have the ability to meet that need, and you don't do it, that is a real sin. And Jesus said, Who then is the faithful and wise servant, whom the master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find doing so when he comes. Read together, I understand the principle to be simply this. We should be seeking to meet each other's needs, and not only those in the local congregation, but those needs in the community, in the country, in the world, wherever we are led to find them. Of course, we only have certain abilities to meet those needs, but we all have, I think, some ability. And whatever it is, we ought to be using it. And this is the point. When you bless someone in very practical ways by meeting a need, and you make it known that you're doing so in the hope of Christ, then you're demonstrating that that hope is not just a word. It has legs, so to speak. It has a very practical effect. I know that there are many people in our congregation who are actively involved in doing many of these very things. Allison mentioned some, excuse me, uh, whatever it is. <laughs> Sorry, Tori. Sorry. <laughs> Senior moment for me. Tori mentioned many of these this morning. But I think of the volunteers at CareNet who meet with pregnant women in crisis and give them hope. I think of those who work at food pantries or homeless shelters and who meet people's very practical needs and give them hope. I think of teachers <coughs> who water the little seedlings and then watch them graduate to the next grade where another teacher takes over. I think of the kind nurses and others in the healthcare professions who work to restore health and to give people hope. I think of missionaries who could only do what they do because of the people who faithfully support them. There are so many ways in which each of us nourishes a seed or adds something to a building, giving hope 
when they do so. All of us should be doing this somewhere, somehow, much of the time. And the fundamental difference between a Christian ministry and a mere charity is that we don't just fix a problem or try to, we give hope when we do so. Now, there is, of course, a time and a season for everything. And I don't want anyone to feel guilty or like a failure because they're not doing something like this at this present time. <clears throat> if it just isn't the season in their lives to be doing that. But it's always the season to be doing something. Often, the best thing that you can do is simply to come alongside of someone as a friend, to listen to them, to be there, to encourage them, to call them, to visit them, to pray with them. In this world, one of our greatest needs is to be encouraged by others because the world can be so very discouraging. <coughs> As we said to begin with, the messages of meaninglessness and hopelessness in our world are sometimes overwhelming. It sounds so simple to provide this encouragement, but it's not always an easy thing to do. It requires intentionality. And if you're a recluse and an introvert like I am, it's even harder to do. You have to think about it. But every time we do it, we make a big difference because encouragement gives people hope. Now, the best way I know how to illustrate this <coughs> is by telling two stories from my own personal experience. By doing so, I do not mean to make them sound any more important than what many other people are doing. I give these illustrations because it's my personal experience and it's been very important in my own life. I also give them because the Ministry of Children with Disabilities Fund International, or CDFI, is one of the foreign missions supported by this church. And every time you make a donation to the work of this church, CDFI is one of the ministries that you're supporting. Many of you have visited the work in Jamaica and seen with your own eyes what we're doing there at West Haven Children's Home. Some of you uh, are sponsoring children in Kenya, and I hope someday may have an opportunity to go there and see what that work looks like. So the first story I want to mention, just as an example, as an illustration, has to do with what had happened in Jamaica. We started going down there back some 12 years ago or so, and took uh, short-term mission teams down to the orphanage for children with disabilities, which was a very sad and dark place at the time. And when we were there, we noticed that we would bring joy and hope. But every time we left, it would just revert back to the way it was. So we knew that we needed to make a systemic change of some type. And I remember very clearly sitting on the beach with my daughter Beth in the month of approximately May of 2012. And we were talking about this, and then at precisely the same moment, we looked at one another, and we both said, let's start a school. We didn't have any idea how we were going to start a school. But we felt the Holy Spirit tell us both that that was what we needed to do at that time. So I had been given the name of the lady in the Jamaican government who was responsible for the wards at West Haven, and I just called her up out of the clear blue one day. And I said, you don't know who I am, 
but I'd like to start a school at West Hill. And what she told me in response to that is something I've never forgotten. She said she had been praying earnestly for three years that somehow God would start a school at West Hill. I got to be the answer to her prayers. My friends, there are a few things in life more precious than finding out that you have been the answer to someone else's prayers. So, in, in a whirlwind of a few months, a few of us, Beth and Michael and Hope Harms, who are members of our congregation, who were all special education teachers at the time, and I, went down to Jamaica to interview candidates to be teachers at this school. The Jamaican government was so poor, they didn't even have the $90 to make an ad in the newspaper for teachers to apply. So we gave them the 90 bucks. And we had a group of teachers. And so the four of us, along with some members of the Jamaican government, interviewed the teachers. We hired two of them. Then we went up to West Haven, where we found a building that was being used for storage, cleaned it out, painted it bought tables, bought chairs, bought a desk for the teacher, took down trunks of teaching supplies. Beth and Michael and Hope put on a special education teaching for these two teachers, and other people in Jamaica heard about it and said, hey, we'd like to come and be a part of that. So they came, and they were a part of it and received the training as well. Then we basically put the teachers in the school, and we left. We didn't have any idea what was going to happen. We didn't even know how we were going to pay for it. But guess what? We planted a seed. Other people came along and watered that seed, and it grew. And today, the school at West Haven has grown as a vehicle for hope and joy and blessing, which is spread throughout the entire facility in a way I could go on and on about, but I'm not going to. <laughs> the second story I want to tell you has to do with Kenya. Years later, through other experiences that it would take too long to relate, we started supporting disabled children in that country as well. The last time I was there, which was my second trip, was in December of 2019, right before the pandemic hit. And we did a number of things, of course, to look at the work that was being done there. But there's one particular thing that really struck in my mind. We were taken up to a very rural place up on a mountain somewhere, you have to ride on dirt roads, and then you have to walk down dirt streets to get to the mud huts where the people actually live. And when we got out of our vehicle, we were met by six African women who, well, the first thing that struck me about these six women is that they were wearing matching T-shirts. Now, you have to understand, buying a T-shirt for us is no big deal, but these people had no money at all. And yet somehow they had gone out and bought matching t-shirts that all said on them, the Hamasi support group. Hamasi was just a geographical area then. Their belonging to that small group's identity was so important to them that they took their meager resources to buy t-shirts that would show their belonging to this group. Then they took us and showed us what they were doing. They took us to one of the mud huts where one of the women lived and showed us a small number of rabbits. I mean, I'm talking, excuse me, chickens first, seven or eight chickens. They took us somewhere else and showed us seven or eight rabbits. They showed us a field about half the size of this room where they were growing various vegetables. 
And if you could have seen the pride in their faces, that they were now standing together with their meager resources in order to do this. Uh, and were so proud to show us what they were able to do. They had been empowered. But then I, I don't really know why I asked this question. They didn't speak English, and I don't speak Swahili so good, so I'm a translator. I asked them, where are your husbands? And they laughed. They laughed. And as I asked the next question, two of them said that their husbands were working in Nairobi, which many hours drive away. Two of them said that their husbands had deserted them. Two of them had never been married. They were laughing because they realized they didn't need these men to go forward with their lives. They'd been empowered. They'd been given hope. They'd been given a sense of meaning. Now, those are just a couple small examples. And I'm sure you could give a lot of other examples. But the point is that when you're meeting very practical needs for people, if you do it in the name of Jesus Christ and you're conveying hope, you are spreading the seeds of your hope throughout the world. When the Apostle Paul told the Ephesians that he was praying for them, he said that he was praying that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened so that they may know the hope to which he has called And in concluding his letter to the Romans, he said, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Let us all take this precious hope, which God has blessed us with, and spread it wherever we see the need, in any opportunity like seed in the field. And let us nourish that hope in one another, that we may have joy and peace in believing. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself, and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Please pray. Thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you for your precious word. Thank you for the beautiful things which you teach us in your word. Oh, Lord, help us to study, to understand, and to make them a part of our lives. Thank you that you have given us many great and precious promises, not only of the life to come, but of your faithfulness and the things that you are doing in our lives here. Oh, Lord, make us good and faithful servants, that we might go out and spread this marvelous gift of hope wherever you have called us with whatever gifts you have given us. To the glory of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Thank you.